You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Ooh, what a glorious day, right? Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. All right, yeah. Hey, so it is a wonderful day. It's an exciting day. It's Easter Sunday, and I don't know if, uh, if you guys have experienced this as well, but uh, Easter Sunday is a day that we are rejoicing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is a day that Satan is attacking full throttle, right? Because he wants to take that focus away, and so we're going to have a moment of prayer uh, just to continue on, because if you woke up this morning and you looked at the news, you saw across the world there were bombings in churches just celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And Satan was attacking. And a couple hundred people have died. And, and if you come across here at, at, in stateside, and it's obviously dramatically much less, much less dramatic, but Satan is attacking here. That inner families. If, if maybe this was like your house, I know it was in the Corral house this morning, chaos erupted, right? That is Easter Sunday, and that happens to be the morning that everything falls apart, right? When you're, everyone's supposed to dress nice, I talked to someone that they said, we got new Easter shoes, and we put them on this morning, and it was an 8 and a 10, right? And so, like, this happens to everyone. Uh, our house, Sarah called. She's like, I don't know if we're doing Easter today. And I was like, I don't have a choice. You know, it's, it's Sunday. And, and because the kids are covered in oatmeal, and it was insane. Uh, even coming out on stage before first hour, seconds before I came out, I broke my stand. Like, everything has just gone bad. And so that is reality because Satan wants to attack. And so we, we want to acknowledge the hope we have. This is the message of Easter, right? As I was talking to Sarah, I said, this is the message. That in the darkness, in the depths of Satan's stronghold, God was victorious. In the depths of death. Jesus arose. And so we have this hope, this living hope that Jesus is alive. And so if you guys will pray with me and then we will continue on. Lord, we thank you for this hope. And God, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. God, we lift up those that are are struggling with the aftermath of what's happened there. God, I I pray for those in, in in this room that are struggling with just this morning and people that are venturing to churches across this nation today. As seems like things are falling apart and as Satan is attacking, God, give them the strength to continue to come to you, to find that hope in you, to find this glorious day, this living hope of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we lift this up in your name. Amen. As we were looking at the book of Acts, it was, I'm as excited that we're coming to the conversion of Saul. It's an amazing story, and as you guys will see in Saul's in Acts chapter 9, this is where we've got to, and it's a perfect message for Easter because Saul discovers the hope of a living Jesus Christ. Saul, who, if you guys don't know, later becomes Paul and is the greatest missionary of all time. There's a point where he was attacking Christians, and he comes and meets Jesus for the first time. And as I was looking at this message and as I was thinking and planning, the guitar in my office came to mind. I want to share with you the story behind this guitar. This is my souvenir from our time in Taiwan. When Sarah and I and a couple of our kids had moved to Taiwan, and uh, we were there, and this souvenir is what I brought back as my memory of this trip. And there's an interesting story how this guitar came about. I was headed to lunch. Uh, I was at the school. We taught uh, English and Bible to college students, and I was headed to, to home for lunch to uh, bring home lunch to my family, and so I stopped at the fried rice place, right? 
And now, at this point in time, I, I've been able to learn enough Chinese to order most everything when I go out to eat. Um, if, uh, for example, I could order for all of you. I could say, Chingewa da mac e da bacola. I would like a Big Mac and a large Coke, all right? So I got that down. I, that was our go-to, and I don't even like Big Macs, but that's the one thing I could order because da is big, and so I could do that, and so I could order that very easily. And so we learned that, but I, my uh, Chinese was improving, and so I was able to order at most restaurants we went to, except for the fried rice place. And I think it was because that lady just had it out to get me because she just laughed at me every time. And so I would go... And I would say, oh, uh, ni hao, uh, chingewa uh, ju fan, which is, hello, I would like pork fried rice. And she'd say, hmm. And she'd just shake her head at me and then smile. And I was like, oh, I know what she's doing. And I'd say, uh, ju fan. And she'd, hmm. And I'd say, and she said, oh, Jufan, and she would write it down, and she would repeat back to me the exact same thing I know I just said, but, um, and so if I ordered uh, beef fried rice, and I'd see a neofan, and be like, moo, moo, and she, ah, neofan, and the worst was when Sarah would, be, I'd ask what the kids wanted, they wanted chicken fried rice, and be like, Jifan, Jifan, and they'd say, and she'd say, oh, Jifan. And she would write it down. And so this is the thing. Every time I went to the fried rice lady, she would do this. And so I ordered a and a and, and she said, oh, and she took down the order and she went to the back. And so while we were waiting for our food, um, I stepped outside and I was just waiting uh, patiently. And I come across this pile of trash, which isn't abnormal there. Uh, there's trash all over the place. But this pile of trash, uh, some trash bags and some food, and in it was the, uh, the neck of this guitar sticking out. And so I pull on the neck and, and this whole guitar comes out of the trash. And I'm wondering why is there this beautiful guitar in the trash? And so I look it over and I look and there's no holes in it. It doesn't look, it doesn't look like anything's wrong. And, and so I think I put it back in the trash and I decide, okay, if it's still there tonight when I come back, that guitar's mine, all right? And so uh, I, I go home, and I tell Sarah about this guitar. It's like, hey, if it's still there, i got to grab it. She's like, you can't just take someone else's that's stealing. It's like, it's trash. She said, you're stealing their trash. And so I realized she's got a point. And so um, I come, come back later that night, and it's still there in the trash pile. So I go home, and I get one of the students that live with us. We lived with the female students, and there's Bibi. Or she has the best English of all our students. I say, Bibi, come with me. And so we go, and I talk to the fried rice lady and she smiles at me when I come in because she thinks I'm going to order something else. I say, oh, no, no, not this time. And I ask her about the guitar and it turns out there's a music school that is in the, in the office above the rice place. So Bibi gets on the intercom and calls the music school teacher and they talk in Chinese and, and she says, well, what do you want to know? I say, why, why is this outside? And she talks to him and she turns to me and she goes, because it's trash. So I, well, I got that, you know, it's covered in rice at this point and cabbage. And, and I said, but why is it trash? Why is he throwing it away? And, and they talk back and forth. And then she looks at me and her eyes get big. She goes, because he says it's dangerous. And it's like, oh, dangerous. Like, I just perked this guitar is even better now. And so I was like, why is it dangerous? And she talks to him and she comes back. She goes, he, he, I don't know why. Uh, he just says it's dangerous. That's why he's throwing it away. And I said, well, can I have it? And she asks him, and he comes back, and she says, why would you want a, you can't, why would you want a dangerous guitar? 
At which point, like, there's something innate in me. Like, if you tell me, hey, don't climb that, I start climbing. If you tell me, don't light that on fire, I look for matches. And if you tell me, you can't have that guitar because it's dangerous, I want that guitar because it's dangerous. And so he finally agrees that I can take his trash, and, and Sarah's happy I didn't steal it. And, and so BB and I go back, and, I, and I'm carrying this guitar, and we go into the house, and all the girls are there, and Sarah's there, and I show Sarah, I was like, look at this guitar. And before, I didn't even think, I should have thought ahead of time, but before I can stop BB, she tells everyone, she goes, it's dangerous. The girls all step back two steps, right? And Sarah's like, well, well, you can't bring that in the house. I was like, it's a guitar. How can it be dangerous? She said, it's not staying in the house tonight. It's like, all right. And so I go and put it in the carport. Next morning, I go to school, um, and, and I have my guitar. And the whole way there from the house to, the guitar, to school, I'm holding it like this because I don't know if it's dangerous. I don't know if it's going to explode. And, and I finally get there, and I start tuning it. All while, like, I'm worried that it's going to snap and it's going to explode. I have my sunglasses on as my eye protection inside because I was worried of this dangerous guitar. And I strum it, and it sounds fine. And then I realize you can plug it in. Maybe that's why it's dangerous. Maybe I shouldn't plug it in. And then I thought, that's exactly why I should plug it in, right? And so I go, and, and I, get the, I go to the part of the school that we have the little stage and everything, and I get one of my coworkers, and I have her come with me, but stand behind the door just in case it explodes, right? And I don't know, and I told her, you're going to have to call Sarah if anything happens and tell her what happened with the danger guitar. And so I take the cord, and I slowly plug it in, and I close my eyes, and nothing happens, Right? And so at that point, I'm worried. And I tell Charity, I say, um, she's behind the door. I say, okay, here it goes. And I strum it. And nothing happens. And I strum. And it sounds beautiful. It sounds like a little ditty about Jack and Diane. All right? And so I play that song all by myself in the room, and I'm excited. My danger guitar is working good. And, and so when I take this off, and I'm telling the other students about it, and I'm like, hey, I don't know what's going on with the danger guitar, and I don't know if it's cursed or, or what. And they're looking at it, and it turns out, and if you look closely, there's a big crack along the back that has been repaired and sealed, but the, the guitar has snapped in two, and there's been a big crack that's been repaired. And at which point I realized, while BB's English is better than the rest of my students, it is still not expert English. And I realized this is the same miscommunication problem we had for two years, that the danger guitar was a damaged guitar, all right? And so this damaged guitar uh, that I've been carrying out in the street, that I'm not allowed to bring in the house, that I'm terrified of, I got eye protection, it was just because it was damaged. And so this is my souvenir from our time in Taiwan, and it sits in my office now every day. Partly, probably, because Sarah doesn't want it at home, just in case it's dangerous, all right? But we have this guitar. And as I was sitting, thinking about today's message and thinking about Saul, and I thought about this guitar that makes a beautiful sound, that, uh, uh, that you can be used to worship God, it was thrown out as trash because it was dangerous, because it was damaged. That describes Saul. Saul was dangerous. And Saul, we come, to, we come to this part of the story in chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, that Saul is actively persecuting Christians, that he is attacking them, that he is pursuing them. He was there when Stephen is stoned and, and murdered. He is there overseeing the death of various Christians. He is busting down homes, going in, arresting men and women, and trying to destroy the church. 
destroy what Christians are calling the way and destroy the way, this new sect of Judaism that is proclaiming that Jesus is the Savior. And so he's actively trying to pursue this. He's dangerous to every Christian out there. And so he has destroyed this church in Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, the Christians flee and the Christians spread. And many of them go up to Damascus, a city north of Jerusalem, a city that's large enough for them to have protection from a large number of people, but also large enough that they can begin to witness and spread the word. And so the word gets back to, to Saul that Christians are up there and they're beginning to spread the word. And so he goes and he gets instructions and he gets permission from the high priest, a written letter from the high priest, which is which was hard to do, that gives him authority to go to Damascus and begin to arrest there, to begin to bust down doors there and arrest men and women to, to stone them if need be, to be able to end this movement of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we pick up on the story is this dangerous man on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to Damascus. Verse 3, chapter 9 says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Saul was a scholar of the Hebrew text. He, he had, had much of it memorized. He was a rabbi in training. He was a scholar of the Hebrew text. And so he knew when there is a bright light, that is God's Shekinah glory. When there is a bright light, that is God's presence there. That he knows of the time when there was the pillar of fire that oversaw the camp at, at night. That was God's presence. That when God hovered above the Ark of the Covenant, that it was in this flaming fire and this light. That at the burning bush that spoke to Moses, it was the same kind of light. This is God. Presence. And so, as we see later on, this story is so important that Luke records it three times in the book of Acts. Chapter 9, 22 and 26, we see later on, as Paul's recalling, that this was at high noon. The sun is up, and this light is brighter than the sun, and it shines down on him, and it stops him in his tracks. And verse 4 says, He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not, why do you persecute my people? Not, why are you just trying to destroy my church? But why are you persecuting me? The fellow believers are part of Christ. You and I are part of Christ. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Saul knows about Jesus. Saul knows a lot about Jesus. He's heard the teachings, he's heard the ways, and he's known that he wants to fight that Jesus. He knows a lot about Jesus, but he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't have a relationship with him until now. Verse 5 continues, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I love this because Jesus meets Saul right where he's at. Saul didn't have to clean up his act before Jesus would come to him. He didn't have to perfect his ways. He didn't have to get everything right before Jesus would come and have a relationship with him. And so many times, many of us think, oh, I can't get baptized today. I can't accept Jesus in my heart because I'm struggling with this, because I have this sin, because of the past that I've had. And Jesus is saying, I'm here with you in the midst of that. I'm willing to pull us out of that and have a relationship together. And at that moment... Saul sees that Jesus is alive. This isn't just a vision. This is Jesus who is alive and, and real in front of him. 
This is the Jesus that the the believers have said that he died and then he rose again and Saul knows that he died. He knows about the persecution. He knows about the torture. He knows about the death on the cross. He knows about being buried in that tomb. He knows about Friday, but he doesn't know about Sunday. He doesn't believe in Sunday until this moment when he sees Jesus is alive. The same thing that the the women, when they went to the tomb to put put spices on Jesus' body on that Sunday morning, on that Easter morning, came and an angel appeared and an angel said to them in Luke 24, why do you look for living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. This is what Saul now has discovered, that he is alive. And because of that, there's a hope. And so the story continues, verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. For three days he spends in darkness. For three days he fasts. For three days he spends his time with God. We see later on in this description of the story, Saul says that that during this time he conversed with God. During this time, God revealed all the prophecies that he knew, that he knew in his heart from the Old Testament that proclaimed the Messiah to come and how Jesus fulfilled those. All the things that he had missed earlier was now revealed to him. And now that he has met Jesus, now that he knows Jesus is alive, he comes to know Jesus during these three days of darkness and fasting. The Lord shows him this, and he develops a relationship with Jesus. Meanwhile, in another location in Damascus is one of Jesus' followers, Ananias. We know very little about this man except for these few verses in this, in this chapter. And it says in verse 10, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on State Street, on Straight Street, And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. I've already let him know. During these three days, I've let him know what the next steps are. And you are the next steps to fulfilling my plan and my vision. Ananias says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. No, Ananias doesn't say, no, I'm not going to do it. Ananias isn't fighting with him, but Ananias is scared. It doesn't make sense. There's no logic in, in God's plan. So he wants to just make sure to clarify. He's not denying that he won't do it, but he just wants to make sure this is what he wants. And the Lord answered Ananias, I have heard many reports about this man. Oh, sorry. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. His chosen instrument. You choose the right instrument for the right task. Right? A, A dentist wouldn't choose a jackhammer to work on someone's teeth. Nor would a construction worker use a little dental drill to take out a road. You choose the right instrument for the right task. And for Saul, he was the right instrument to reach the Gentiles. 
For Saul, he was, uh, he was raised and he knew all the ways of the Hebrew teaching. He was a, the Hebrew's Hebrew. He knew everything that he needed to know. He knew the Old Testament. He had it memorized. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He had all the knowledge. But at the same time, he was a Roman citizen. And at the same time, he was able to communicate with the Gentiles. He was able to relate to the Gentiles. And for, to reach the gospel to the Gentiles, to not just go to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well, Saul was the chosen instrument. And eternity was forever changed. For Ananias, we didn't know very little about Ananias. But what we do know is he was in Damascus at that time, and he was willing to follow God's word. He was willing to go where God sent him. That he was in the right place at the right time, a specific place at a specific time, and he was willing to follow a specific plan. And because of that, he was able to bring Saul to conversion. Because of that, eternity was forever changed. And as we look at this and this chosen instrument, we look at Saul as a chosen instrument, Ananias as a chosen instrument, and you as God's chosen instrument. For some of you, might, that might be a huge hit. You might be like, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand the baggage I'm carrying. You don't understand the things that I'm struggling with. You don't understand what my life is like. Jesus does. Jesus understood the baggage Saul was carrying. Jesus understood where Saul was in his life, and he still met him there because he was his chosen instrument. We are his chosen instrument at this specific time and this specific place for a specific plan. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a plan already for you. He has a plan for you at this specific time in this specific place in your life. Your shortcomings, your gifts, your weaknesses, all of those are wrapped together for God to use you as, your, as his chosen instrument. The co-workers you have in your life right now, the family members that are in your home, the students that you go to school with, all of these things, the neighbors down the street, this is the time, a specific time, a specific place, and a specific purpose. That God has for us. And because of Saul, eternity was changed. Because of Ananias, eternity was changed. Because of you, for someone, eternity might be changed. For we have the works that God has already planned for us to do. And so the story continues, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. I love that already, calling him brother. You're part of the family. You're one of us. Brother Saul, the Lord, the bro, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. After meeting Jesus, after developing this relationship with Jesus, at first he knew about Jesus, but now he knows Jesus, and so he gets baptized to proclaim this new change. To proclaim his sins are washed clean. The old Saul is gone. The, the new Saul is here to stay. The Saul that has Jesus in his heart, that has the Holy Spirit upon him. And so he gets baptized because of this hope he found those three days in darkness. The same hope that we're here to celebrate on Easter, this living hope. And there's a hope in heaven. There's a hope in salvation. There's hope in eternity. There's hope in baptism. 
this hope of a living Savior. Some of you this morning, I don't know where you're at on your spiritual walk, but I know there's some people here this morning that have known about Jesus. But they haven't taken time to know Jesus, to give their life over to him. You might be thinking that you're just here to, to please the person that brought you. But maybe you're here because God wanted you to be here for this specific time and this specific purpose, for a specific reason, to develop a relationship with him, to give your life over to him. We're going to sing a song here in a moment called Living Hope. And, and if you need that living hope, I want to encourage you to head to the back. If we have any, any elders, if you guys can head to the back to be able to just meet someone, to pray with them, to, to cry with them, to talk with them. Maybe if you want, this morning you could get baptized. We have a baptism later on. We could baptize you this morning, or maybe it's just this morning. You come and say, today I want to know Jesus. What are the steps I need to take? Because for a lot of us, we might feel like this guitar. Even if we've been followers of Christ much of our life, we feel like we're this guitar. That we should just be put out with the trash. That's what many people would think of Saul, that, that he was dangerous, that he was, that he was damaged. He should, he should just be set aside. God should never use him, but he was his chosen vessel. And for many of us, we feel like we are damaged and dangerous, that maybe you feel dangerous from the history you've had. Maybe you feel dangerous because of the broken relationships. Maybe you feel dangerous because of the affairs or the abortion. Maybe you feel dangerous that people shouldn't intermingle with me and God would never use me. But Jesus doesn't see dangerous. Maybe you feel damaged. Maybe you feel damaged and broken. Maybe you feel damaged because of the wall you've put up, because of the hurt relationships you've had. Maybe you feel damaged because of the scars that you have physically or emotionally from the past. Maybe you feel like you're just damaged goods and Jesus shouldn't use me. But I have some great news this morning. This message of Easter, this message of that Jesus is alive and there's a living hope. And that even in the midst when others might see us damaged and dangerous, in the right hands we could be used to bring him glory. In God's hands we could be used to bring him glory because there is a living hope. And so if you will stand with me this morning, if you have been dangerous or damaged in your life, stand. If you've ever had that feeling that you can't be used, please stand. If you would like to be a chosen vessel for God, please stand. If you're willing to be his instrument at the specific time, the specific place for a specific purpose, please stand because we have a hope in Jesus. And while we might be dangerous and damaged to others, to God, we can bring a beautiful noise and bring him glory.